to get good at pretty much anything. It's not rocket science. It requires practice, trial and error, sustained action, period. No matter how complicated the skill is, that's what it requires. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life Boost here. I'm really excited to have the pleasure of speaking with Trevor Reagan. Trevor Reagan is the founder of Train Ugly and the host of the podcast channel, The Learner Lab. He helps individuals, teams, and organizations become better learners. He has delivered over a few hundred workshops to people of all ages and all walks of life about learning, from working in prisons, schools, with MLB teams, Olympic teams, Fortune 500 companies, and so much more. Trevor has created a positive impact in the world of learning. He provides ways on how to learn better by diving into the science, connecting the dots, and sharing it in a way that you can understand it and use it. There is no fluff or unnecessary jargon. He uses simple words to explain complex topics. All of his information will be down below in the description. Welcome to my show, Trevor. It's great to have you on. Thank you. That was a great intro. Uh... You, you you brought that together really well. I'm excited, really excited for this conversation. Thanks, man. Yeah, Trevor, it's going to be amazing to dive into this topic as a lot of people want to become better learners and become stronger individuals. And it's going to be amazing to dive into this topic with you. So to start off with everything, I wanted to dive into your mindset. What made you want to help people to become better learners? Honestly, it probably started off selfishly, which was, I want to become a better learner, <laughs> which was <laughs> it, the way I see it is if you can get good at getting good, that's useful in pretty much any scenario. And so when I started this, it was like, okay, how do I help myself get better at learning? And then during that journey, you start to to research and understand these ideas and, and you just start to see the applications. And so when I first started, this was like 10 years ago, I just turned it into a little blog and I would just share the things that I was learning. I would read a book, interview the author, post the interview. Uh, I would read a book, find a study that was interesting, go spend time with the people who did the study. And I was just like collecting a lot of information and sharing it uh, with anyone that would listen. And so it was, it was fun. I think it started selfishly, but then you immediately realize it's like, wow, there are others like me. A lot of people are interested in topics like this. And then the fun part for me is gathering material, but then coming up with creative ways of sharing it, whether that's videos, podcasts, articles. Um, I really, really like that side of the equation. Yeah, man. Like that's what kind of got me started too. I really wanted to just try to learn more and have more development within myself for personal growth and development. And it's mm -hmm. nice to hear that like you actually went in, went in it for like the greedier <laughs> side where you actually yeah. wanted to <laughs> learn something and absorb it and try yeah. to make yourself a stronger individual. Right. So yeah. like, that's yeah. actually really awesome because that's exactly why I did it too in the first yeah. place. Right. So that's pretty amazing. Um, I know that you discuss a lot about adult learning and that you've spoken about it in your past learning models and stuff, specifically about block training versus interleave training. How can people apply this in their day-to-day -day lifestyle? Yeah, so I think that's like one piece of the equation and we can kind of zoom out a bit more for the for the application for everyone. So a big area that I spend time learning about is sort of how do you get more from your practice? Which is like, okay, whether that's studying, preparing for a talk, uh, 
practicing before a baseball game. It doesn't matter. How do we maximize our gains during practice so they show up when it matters? And one of the, the big lessons in that field is autopilot is the enemy. Like during practice, you want to avoid autopilot at all costs. And what happens when we do something that's really repetitive or really easy or really predictable, even though we're doing it a bunch of times, my brain starts to slide into autopilot. And you could think about it as sort of empty reps. It's like, even though I'm doing it a bunch of times, I'm not going to get much better from that action. So this is why like, my mom is twice my age, but she's not twice as good at brushing her teeth than me. Even though she's done it twice the amount of times, it's like those reps aren't focused. There's no intention there. She's, she's on autopilot. And so then the question is, what are the best strategies for avoiding autopilot? Now, there's a lot of things you can do to stay out of autopilot, but some can hurt learning and some can help learning. And two of the best that actually help the learning process is spacing out your actions and spacing out your practice. And the other is the adding a bit of variation, the interleaving idea. And so to summarize each one of those, if, um, if I was preparing like a presentation, most people would spend a lot of time alone with your notes, with your outline, and you'd zip through the presentation a bunch of times back to back to back to back to back. And after a while, it feels like, yo, I got this. I know this. It ends up that practice would be a little bit better if you spaced out the attempts. And when you space out the attempts, it's a bit harder, but your brain is activated in a different way. There's more focus on this. And everyone's been in that situation before, whether it's preparing for a presentation or flashcards or any sort of studying. When you do something a bunch of times in a row, it, you get like a false sense of progress. It's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. Cause it's right here, fresh in my brain. I haven't like allowed myself to forget. Uh, and when I do that, I'm on autopilot and it's not going to stick as well as it could. And then the, the interleaving thing is basically, uh, like if I'm practicing shooting a basketball rather than shooting 30 shots from one spot in a row, I can just move around between each shot. And what that does is creates a bit more difficulty, but my brain has to attack each rep in a different manner. Where if I'm shooting 30 from the same spot, it's sort of rinse and repeat. I'm just shooting the exact same shot. But as soon as I move just a few feet, one direction or the other, or closer or farther, my brain has to come up like with a new read and adapt to that new scenario. And I will be more focused on that. I'm going to get more from it. Now, the hard part, by moving between each shot, by shuffling your flashcards, by spacing out your attempts, it's harder. <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, this is like the, the, the tough piece here. It's like, I need to be willing to do this thing that is going to make me struggle a bit more and lead to more errors, but I need to trust that that is actually better practice and will help me perform this task when it matters, which is tomorrow or during the game, during the presentation, during the TED talk or whatever it may be. And so that's a really hard thing to get people to do. And I know I'm being long-winded with this answer, but this is sort of my journey in a nutshell, which is when I first started, that's the piece of the learning equation I spent the most time on, the practice design. But then I got to that point right there where we just arrived together, which is 
if I'm not mentally prepared to deal with the discomfort, the struggle, the difficulty of high quality practice, I won't get the most out of it. And so then my journey shifted to, well, what does this look like on the mental side? How do you equip someone mentally to be prepared for the struggle, the discomfort that comes with high quality learning? And then in the end, we have this nice one-two punch, which is I'm good between the ears and I know how to structure practice so I get the most out of it. Very interesting, right? Where you get to hear that complex of different learning, right? Having those skills and attributes. Sometimes some people are born with it where some people actually have to work towards that goal, right? And being able to do the interleave training where you said training basketball, where you're not being just in one place, you're being in several other places mm -hmm. and you're practicing those techniques because that technique is totally different than just being stationary. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good example as to how, you know, block training versus interleave training is very different and we can apply it easily in our daily lifestyle, right? We can apply this mm. if we're learning a new skill or attribute, right? Because yep. some people are naturally gifted in it, right? Some people are born to pick up a basketball and be very amazing at it. But unlike myself, you know, it's going to take years of practice yeah. or years of growth in order to really do that, right? But and, and I you, think... Yeah, yes. and you can, you can even, it's like, you can even go deeper into that. It's like, as far as things we're born with, there are natural abilities like agility and balance and coordination that help me maybe out of the gates shoot a basketball a little bit better. But the actual skill of shooting a basketball, that has to be built. And so I might have some natural things that help me in the process so I can learn faster and end up in a different place than you. But the actual skill is built. And that goes for most every skill. There's a little bit of stuff that we're born with, but the majority is stuff on top of that that we're earning and building and we get better at it as we go. But for the, I guess the practice design piece, sort of the one liner that I hope people remember is we should practice the actual skill in the way we intend to use it. So if you just use that as your North Star and work backwards from that, that's going to help you a lot. So what is the actual skill of presenting to a group of people? I have to stand up, probably with no notes, and do this. And I don't get 50 tries beforehand, and there is going to be an audience there. Like, there's a lot of variables here when this matters. And so then it's like, how do I make my practice mirror that as much as I can? It's never going to be one-to-one, -one, but rather than practicing my talk alone, I give the talk to someone else. Rather than doing it 50 times in a row, back to back to back to back, I space out the reps. And so there are all these strategies. What I'm trying to do is sort of mimic uh, the actual skill that I'm supposedly practicing. Yeah, no, and that's really good advice to take in, right? And some people have that, that that's coming to another question that I'm going to be asking and leading up mm -hmm. to it. But, you know, however, like, I really feel that, you know, some people don't want to take the time to learn. Some people don't want to yeah. understand that it does take that time of development to gain that skill, right? And mm -hmm. by you explaining that and breaking it down, it's very easy for people to comprehend and understand that, you know, it's a skill that you're going to need to develop and you have to diversify your options when it comes to that, right? A lot of mm -hmm. people are closed-minded being like, I have to read this piece of paper 50 times in order to learn, but there's yeah. so many different ways in order uh -huh. to actually adapt in that workplace, right? So very yeah. good advice on that, right? And you talk a lot about the science of like fixed and the growth mindset. And when it comes mm -hmm. to learning, 
Can you explain to my listeners how they can actually adopt this concept into their personal and professional lives as like first responders or even in the general public? Yep. So again, I always like to kind of have this big idea and we work backwards, which shows why this topic matters. So let's just say, and you you nailed this, but I want to underline it. To get good at pretty much anything, it's not rocket science. It requires practice, trial and error, sustained action, period. No matter how complicated the skill is, that's what it requires. Learning is the same. How do you get good at learning? By learning. (laughs) So now the question is, what are barriers to that action? And what are tools you could build to help you overcome those barriers? Now, there are a lot. I'm not trying to say there's only two or three, but there are some major ones. And that's where the the Dweck's Mindset Research comes in. In short, Dweck's Mindset Research identifies sort of two mindsets we can have towards learning. So what she calls a fixed mindset is this idea that I sort of have the skills I have and can't change them very much. It's why it's called a fixed mindset. And this is common. A lot of people have these ideas. It's like, I'm just not born to be good at math and I could never get good at math, whatever. Growth mindset is the belief that I can build and develop my skills. I believe I can get better at this skill. Now, this doesn't mean I believe I'm the best at every skill. It just means I believe I could get better. And then the same is true on the fixed side. It doesn't mean I believe I'm bad at everything. It's just the idea that I have what I have and can't change it very much. So if you take those two mindsets, zoom out a bit and look at that statement that I made 45 seconds ago, it's like, okay, which one of those mindsets do you think is going to lead to more learning actions? <laughs> well, probably yeah. the growth mindset one. Most so likely, it's like, yeah. It, it's dead simple. <laughs> it's It's dead simple, which is, A growth mindset leads to better learning because when I believe I can change and believe I can grow, I'm more likely to try. (laughs) And if I'm trying, I'm more likely to grow. And then that sort of reinforces the belief. It's like, yeah, I could grow. And then on the flip side, if I deep down don't believe I can learn a particular skill, I'm probably not going to learn it. And this isn't magic. It's if I don't believe I can learn the skill, I won't practice enough to build it. And then that fixed mindset belief becomes true. Now, it gets a little messy when you dig deeper. And I'm sure the the listeners are at this point now where it's like, well, I have a growth mindset towards some stuff and a fixed mindset towards other stuff. And that's very normal. It's like we're kind of a mix. And depending on the skill we're talking about, uh, whether it's a particular sport or anything, our mindsets can change. They can even change by like, the, the the problem that we're trying to solve or even the mood that we're in. And so don't think of these as like a static trait that you have or don't. Think of this as more of a continuum. This is sort of uh, more fluid. But what we're trying to get, if if we really want to learn at our best, we want to be operating from this belief system that I know it's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to require some trial and error, some adjusting of strategies, but deep down, I believe in my capacity to change. So now the question is, how do you help people build that? And that's where I think a lot of people miss the boat when they teach growth mindset. And I know that because I missed it too. 
for years, I lived on the surface, which was growth mindset helps you learn better. Here's what a growth mindset is. You should have a growth mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and pretty that's much. What, like, that's <laughs> where like, that's where a lot of people live. And so what I've tried to figure out and experiment with over the last few years is like, what are the strategies to help people build that belief? And not me just telling you that you should believe, what are things you could do to help people get there on their own? And there's obviously a lot of things, but um, yeah, that's where I've tried to spend a lot of my time lately. Yeah, man, like you kind of hit it home where, you know, you got to have that mindset of growth, of believing in yourself. And a lot of first responders, I find that when they get into the world of law enforcement or even emergency services in general, they go through their basic training and, and everything's okay, right? But, you know, at the end of their training, they're like, okay, hey, I'm done learning. I'm done trying to advance myself, right? And so mm -hmm. it's really important to keep what you just said in mind, right? You got to believe yep. that you can keep growing, believe that you can have that mental mindset to say, hey, yep. you know, I can learn more things. I can be more successful in many ways. And a lot of people tend to be more negative in that spectrum, which makes yep. them not able to learn. So, and, and it's like, this isn't even some pie in the sky, fluffy belief system. This is grounded in decades of research. It's like, if you look into the research of what they call neuroplasticity, which is like the research around how anytime you build or learn any skill, our brains like physically change during that process. So neuro is brain plasticity means it could change. Like I interviewed some of the world's experts in that field, like big time neuroscientists. And one of them just looked right at the camera and he said, our research shows a few concrete ideas about neuroplasticity. And one is, a healthy brain remains plastic regardless of your age. Anyone can learn a new skill with a healthy brain, no matter how old we are. And that flies right in the face of some ideas we have of like, oh yeah, once I reach 18, 22, 24, I'm done. Now, the research shows you have to be more intentional with your action as you get older to change the brain, but it absolutely can be, it can, can be done for sure. And the other big lesson that I learned from Michael Merzenich, the neuroscientist, he he just goes, pretty much anyone can get better at pretty much any skill. Now, this doesn't mean you're going to master every skill. And obviously, there are skills that are very complicated, which means it's going to take a ton of time, which means we're, we might not have that time to get really, really good. But you can learn enough to be dangerous. And then the other big idea there is more things are skills than we realize. And that's one tip that I'd give to the audience. And this is a trap that I fell into. And we all do as we get older, which is we kind of forget that most things are skills. It's like friendliness is a skill. You can learn to be friendlier. Leadership is a skill. You can learn to be a better leader. Uh, Finding gratitude is a skill. You can get better at finding gratitude. It's like all those things are skills, which means they're learnable, which means anyone listening could improve those things. And like I said, we're going to go at different speeds, but you could get much better at all three of those things. And getting much better at those three things is probably beneficial for a lot of people listening. And so it's like, don't forget that more things are skills than we realize. And then the best news is if it's a skill, we could absolutely get better at it.
Yeah. And it's a really good piece of advice that I could share to my listeners and really understand that mm-hmm. it is a very diverse way of learning, a very good way of trying yeah. to take in information, right? And it's very yeah. underrated still, still in our day that mm-hmm. we're just like, we need to learn in this type of aspect, but there's so many yep. different other ways, right? And yep. I think you really hit that home like no other, right? So that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think the, yeah. the last piece for that section that will leave people with, uh, don't let mastery be the enemy of learning. So there's a lot of ideas in the learning world about like the 10,000 hour rule. And there's some, uh, there's some drama around that, but we need to just like understand (laughs) all that's saying is it does take a lot of time and luck and so many variables to be like an expert at something. But I promise you this, you don't have to be an expert at something for it to impact your life. And you can learn to be kind of good at something in a relatively small amount of time. Depending on what the skill is, it could be a weekend or a week or a month. So, so many times learning is so daunting because we assume it takes thousands of hours to acquire a skill, but that's not the case. That is not the case. And so I recommend changing the goalposts away from mastery and onto kind of good. I just had to get a little bit good at this thing. And once I get a little bit good, I start to use the skill more often and I'm on the pathway to getting really good at the thing. And so that's helped me a ton. Just like giving myself permission to like aim a bit lower and like, let's get scrappy and get kind of good at this thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like a hundred percent, right. Where yeah. you're not like putting yourself at a higher benchmark being like, I have to be this right. Where mm-hmm. you can start off at a lower level and then assess afterwards being like, okay, I've reached this goal now and I'm really into this. So let's keep learning more. And then that's what gets you more engaged into that. Right. So that's a really good piece of advice for first responders where, you know, they learn a certain method of control tactics or they learn a certain method of whatever. Right. And then they Mm -hmm. try to adapt that and understand that they think they need to be an expert in reality. They don't really need to, they just need to have Mm -hmm. that basic understanding. And then Mm -hmm. when they get into that field, then they get more built into it subconsciously right so it's a very good topic that you touched on right and like man that's that's really incredible when it comes to professional training now because like i know that you're in the field of training in particular when it comes to sports and development and stuff like that so when you provide Mm -hmm. feedback as an evaluator it can sometimes be difficult and when you're given the freedom to develop a feedback model for first responder scenarios that would encourage a growth mindset, what would that even look like? And how can the feedback process be utilized to keep the learner motivated? I know that's a very loaded yeah. question, yeah. but so let's just, we'll, 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 we'll give some tips. It's, it's hard. A lot of times, like with the corporate groups that I work with, they're like, send us a spreadsheet of exactly what we should say in every scenario. It's like, yeah, I yeah. don't know. No, <laughs> you, you can't man. But if so, you give me some tips, that's some sick. tips, some tips. So first it's, Talk about things as skills, frame things up as skills. So the difference between you're just not born to be a leader versus, hey, look, you and I know that leadership isn't your strongest skill, but skills are built. And with some practice and struggle and experimentation, you could get better at this skill. And I'm here to help. Like, that's the, I'm kind of saying the same thing. In the end, I'm saying you're not that good of a leader. But do you see like the, the contrast between those two? 
think about as the recipient, the first signal is saying, this is a skill, you didn't win the lottery, you weren't born with it, and you can't change that. Fixed mindset. Versus the other, which is, I'm not giving you fake praise. I'm not telling you you're the best leader if that's not the case. I'm just saying, look, you know, and I know this isn't your strongest skill, but skills can be built. And this is what it's going to take to build it. And I'm here to help. Boom. It's like, that's just like an easy fix, an easy fix. And then the same is true on the other side. So this is, this is kind of a tough tightrope to walk, but let's say someone is really good at something. And we mean well, and we're just like, ah, you were born to be good at blank. And that's a, we're coming from a positive place. We're trying to be encouraging, but sometimes that can even backdoor into a fixed mindset because the signal I'm sending is you were born with this skill. You didn't earn it. You didn't build it. You're born with it. And then if you take that a step deeper as the recipient, it's, well, then I guess I don't need to practice very much more versus versus you could say you're really good at this thing or you're, you even have some natural abilities in this field. Fine. And you can build on top of that. And all of your success is not just natural. There could be some natural things helping, but you've earned and built a lot of skills on top of that foundation that is helping you get here and you could continue to build and grow on top of that as well. And so it's like this, this simple tip is treat things as skills because they usually are and then talk about it as a skill. I think that's really, really helpful for feedback. Yeah, no, that's a super good tip. It's very easy to do as an evaluator or if, if somebody's training someone, you can give that positive feedback, but not to the mm -hmm. point where you're saying like you're a natural at it. Where, yeah. you know, you can actually say, hey, like, you know, this is the areas that you're good at. And this is some of the areas that you can improve on. And mm -hmm. just trying to, like, keep the learner engaged and keep wanting to learn versus yep. them saying, like, yeah, you're born natural. And then they stop learning because yeah. they think they know it all, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. very good advice, right? So this kind of leads into my next question, actually. So it's like you credit fear as a motivator for avoidance when it comes to getting out of your comfort zone and embracing the good challenges. You really talk about this. And in training, we have seen the emergence of stress inoculation training to prepare new recruits. But how can first responders who are no longer in training or specialized courses take it on themselves to continue that high stress situational training? If that makes yeah. sense. So, all right. This is perfect. Great, great, like series of questions here. So we go back to our overarching idea with learning. Learning requires sustained action that stretches us a bit out of the comfort zone. And we said our fixed mindset or when we believe we can't learn something, we're probably not going to go stretch out of the comfort zone and practice it. Cool. And we overcome the fixed mindset by building a growth mindset. Great. Our job is not done because everyone listening is like, okay, this makes sense, but there's all sorts of things that you and I believe we could learn, but we still don't practice. And more times than not, it's because of the discomfort, the fear, the stress, the anxiety, the embarrassment, the tough emotions that come with learning. Because look, learning, we said, involves trial and error and struggle. That doesn't feel good. And if I'm not mentally prepared to deal with the discomfort, I'm probably going to avoid situations that cause it 
And if we're talking learning, that's going to hurt my capacity to grow. So now the question is, how do we get better at overcoming and dealing with fear and discomfort? And truth is, I could talk about that topic alone for 90 minutes. But <laughs> I think that, yeah. like the, the big idea that we'll leave people with with that is usually the more we try to fight and suppress and deny the tough emotions, the stronger they get. And by learning to accept and understand the tough emotions, we start to take the power back. We don't necessarily get rid of all of the emotions, but we get better at dealing with them by understanding them. And so I'm trying to think of like the easiest way to explain this. And maybe it's from my own experience, like teaching and doing workshops. And so when I was younger, I would get nervous before every talk, every time. Didn't matter who the group was, I would be really nervous. And at that point, I wasn't exposed to this research around discomfort. And so I was operating under like sort of our default a strategy to tough emotions, which is feeling nervous is not optimal. And that would stress me out even more. So I'd be like freaking out that I was freaking out. And then that would lead to a ton of imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, I'm so nervous. I must not have practiced enough. I must be too young to do this. I must not belong in this room. And all those things make sense because I'm operating under the assumption that it's bad to be nervous. Okay. Fast forward to now where I've had the honor of interviewing maybe the five best researchers in this field in the world. And they have taught me a lot of effective strategies of dealing with discomfort. And one of the most is you can't really control every emotion you have in every moment, but what you can control is how you interpret the tough emotions. So now fast forward, I've done probably 900 to a thousand different se live sessions with different groups from all over the world. I still get nervous before every talk. Dude, I'm nervous right now. Like I get nervous before these interviews. Why? Because I don't know exactly how it's going to go. That's uncertainty. And I care how this goes. Uncertainty plus caring equals discomfort pretty much every time. And so... Think about the difference between those two interpretations of the discomfort. Now, when I'm backstage about to go on and feeling nervous, I understand, oh, this is a sign that I care. And it's a sign that I'm being stretched out of my comfort zone. And there's some uncertainty involved versus this is a sign that I didn't practice enough that I'm stupid or that like I'm too young to do this. And so same feeling, different interpretation. and that affects how I operate in that moment. So the, a lot of times this is common in the sports world. We assume, oh, these tough emotions hurt performance. Not necessarily the case. Misinterpreting the tough emotions, that's going to hurt your performance <laughs> because that's sort of this double down effect. And, and Susan David, uh, she's from Harvard, taught me about like type one emotions or how we feel in the moment in response to a situation, type two emotions are our feelings about our feelings. And those are the ones that snowball out of control and make it worse. And that's exactly the experience I had. 
the type two emotions were, oh crap, I'm nervous. That's a sign of weakness. I'm doing something wrong. And I'm focused on the emotion itself versus, of course, I'm nervous. I'm a human and I'm speaking in front of people. Most people get nervous when they do this. Now my attention's on the task, not trying to suppress the nerves. That's a, that's like a lot to comprehend and take in. So I'm just like acknowledging it. I'm like, okay, this is like a lot of great information, man. But I'm like, I'm just like processing it. It's like pretty awesome. I do apologize, but like, man, that was pretty incredible. Right. Um, like where you're able to adapt that into a realistic situation for anyone to understand this, right. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, when you're in front of a, a stage worth of people, right. Especially what you do, where you present to people on a daily basis, right. You have that sense of stress, that sense of well-being where you're like, you don't know what's going to happen. So you have that sense of nervousness, right? And I think the best way to engage yourself in that from a law enforcement perspective is continuously putting yourself in those situations or continuously um, involving yourself outside of the workplace kind of essentially to keep training your body to do that, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, it's like you treat, treat it as a skill. And so this goes for anyone listening. It's like the skill of taking the power away from our emotions. And that skill requires practice. And it's not turning off our emotions. It's I feel them, but they are not steering the ship right now. And you take the power back, not by fighting and suppressing, but by accepting. And so I can't even imagine like in your world, it's like, yo, you're going to feel all sorts of things and you're not going to be able to control every thought and every feeling, especially for what you do. But by helping people understand, or like uh, there's this book by Mark Brackett and the title is just brilliant. He goes, it's permission to feel, permission to feel. You want to give yourself and others permission to feel. And then we get to work on the task at hand, not investing our time and energy in trying to make ourselves stop feeling in the moment because that's probably not going to work. And so it's like, let's do the thing and not spend so much time on like, I got to stop feeling like this, which we can get into that, but that's usually not going to work. No, man. Like this is great advice to really understand and to be able to adapt and it's something easy that people can understand, right? It's very easy language for people to be like, oh, okay, it's not as hard as what it is or as hard as what we think it is, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time training uh, for these things, whether if it's in your profession or your field, right? A lot of people are like, I got my degree, I'm good to go. Or, you know, they're in their workplace, they have their basic workplace training and everything turns out to be okay. But then when they get into that situation because they've only been in it once and then they have Mm -hmm. that uncertainty, just like an officer, right? When you're responding to a shooting, you probably don't respond to 80 shootings like throughout your career, right? right? So like when you're going through that situation, your heart's pumping, everything's Mm -hmm. going, your SNS is kicking, your sympathetic nervous system and and everything's going on, right? So it's very good advice for sure, right? And yep. Outside of the specialized training that people go through and stuff in the induction training for law enforcement, right? There's a, there's a lot of um, issues with outside resources and development for um, first responders, right? So like they go through their induction training, they go through continuous training, obviously, but sometimes there's not enough, right? Where they get that actual hands-on ability to enhance those skills, right? So mm-hmm. what are some outside resources or continuing education resources that you would recommend you recommended a book just earlier right but Mm -hmm. 
what is something else that you could recommend for emergency services? I think so. I don't like peddling my own stuff, but I just published an audio book and I think it's really good. And I sort of go through, honestly, it kind of aligns with the conversation we just had. It's like, first we start with my argument that getting good at learning is a good idea. Then we talk about reasons we don't. And then we talk about the tools we could build to, to do that. And so we're going to go through growth mindset. We go through discomfort. Then we get into some of the, the flexibility, the resilience piece. And then the last section of the book is taking action, which is like, all right, now that you have these tools, you might feel good, but nothing changes unless you go use them. And it's very simple. It's like, you don't have to overcomplicate this. We set it at minute five. Learning is a skill. You get better at it by doing it. So to, to, to use this conversation in this episode, you don't have to go listen to the audiobook if you don't want to. It's just every couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks, one week, doesn't matter. Take a second and ask, what is a relevant skill that would help me be better at my job? And how can I practice that a little bit more? And if you just like ask that question more often, that would have a profound impact on your learning because let's bring this full circle. The neuroplasticity researcher, Michael Mersenick. So he's the one that told us that we can all get better at pretty much any skill. And the other lesson in that conversation, he said, sometimes what people don't understand, they, they get the basics of neuroplasticity. It's like, oh, a skill is a pathway in my brain and I fire it. My brain wires it up and I can fire it better. That's how you build a skill. But he goes, what they don't realize is the machinery in your brain that controls uh, learning is also plastic, which means every time we decide to practice a skill. Not only are we going to get a little bit better at that skill, I'm actually making my brain a little bit better at learning. And so that can be a really positive snowball effect, which is, all right, I'm stacking skills. I, don't, I know I don't have to master this, but I'm going to be more intentional about this. And I'm doing that more often. And every time I do that, I'm getting better at learning during the process, which is like, I think, amazing. Yeah. And then that's where you get to have the chance of like what you say is, is like mastering your career, right? Being mm -hmm. able to get into your element and have a good understanding of it by starting off with something that you think you can improve on. And like you said, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to reach high for the sky. You just need a decent yep. level of knowledge. And then yep. you can grow upon that, right? And have that yep. good understanding, right? Especially for myself where, you know, I ha I have a learning disability. So for me to be able to like comprehend mm -hmm. something very like you know very quickly is hard mm -hmm. so it's nice yeah. to be able to jump into something and be like oh wow like you know mm -hmm. this is what it's all about and then i start developing that foundation that understanding but i don't need to be a pro at it and then i can grow my way up to it and then yep. master it right so yep, yep. um very and, good advice and i think the other idea is look there's a lot of people listening to this and i don't know them and so, and this is true with the workshops I give. I don't roll in and tell people what to learn. This is equipping you for the learning journey. And, but what I do point out is there is a lifetime of learning for each one of us. No matter who we are, or what we do, there's a lifetime of skills that would help us be a little bit better. 
Now we're all on our lane. Like my lane is different than your lane. And you and I, like, I'm probably not going to become a first responder. In fact, I know I'm not going to be. And so there are certain skills that would be way more beneficial for you than me. But each one of us has a lifetime of skills that would help us be better at what we do and help us on the particular lane that we're on. So this isn't just for certain people. It's like, no, learning benefits everybody. Yeah, man, you kind of hit it home with all these principles and all these aspects. And you were really able to simplify it to the point where like anyone can really understand how to adapt and how to change themselves in a very simple way. And it's not very difficult and people can make it bigger than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that was amazing, man. You hit it home. And since I've dived into a lot of questions about your intelligence in regards to learning, I'm going to go into a little bit more personal questions now just because like, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. kind of dug into your brain a little bit. So yep. uh, if you have a bit more time, that'd be awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Sick. Awesome. Um, so in my channel, I talk a lot about ways to manage your overall health and your day-to-day -day lifestyles. That's like one of the biggest topics I talk about. Um, so how do you manage your health as a podcaster <laughs> and educator? Ooh, that's tough. So I guess the big lesson I'm learning is for the content and stuff that I make, I work best in like, I sprint and work like crazy and then rest. Same here. <laughs> that is great for that, but it's not so great for long-term health. And so like in the past, I'd probably do the same thing with my health, which is like, I'm going to eat perfectly for two weeks and then eat like crap for a month. And it's just like what I've learned in, in, when it comes to the health side of the equation, we're looking for sustainability. It, we don't have to go off the rails with anything. We want long-term, slow, gradual wins. And I can still kind of like, uh, there's this guy on Twitter, Naval, he's brilliant, but he's like, that's the difference between working like a lion, which is like, I go, I hunt, I eat, I rest versus working like a cow, which is like slow and the same thing and gradual. But I think for the nutrition, we want to be the cow, not the, the, the lion. And so it's fun to like dip back and forth between those two things. But that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned. And this is like a journey that I've been failing at. But I, I think I'm now in a good place where I'm looking for like the long term play. And it seems to be helping. Nice, man. And like, what's your daily routine like? Like, do you go to the gym? Do you like to go on walks, hikes? Like, what do you like yeah. to do? Love walks. So I try to play basketball once a week in the morning. I try to play pickleball once a week minimum because it's the best sport in the world. And then I try to walk 45 minutes to an hour a day. And then that that's sort of my foundation now. And then on top of that, I'm going to introduce a bit of weight training next week now that i'm like i'm kind of in the groove with all those things and now we're going to reintroduce the weight training i had a couple interruptions to the exercise routine a lot of like moving around different parts of the country and now i'm in a place where we're, we're building up little by little but those are the, the the big things no that's awesome man right at least you're like getting out you're doing something for yourself it's important to take the time right. for you right especially mm -hmm. with what you do with content making and continuous yeah. productivity it could be very difficult yeah. at times right yeah. so yeah it's nice to actually be able to kind of like just chill out right mm -hmm. um what's your favorite productivity hack for entrepreneurs that's one of my biggest questions right like a good productivity hack especially myself being a new entrepreneur what's something that you could offer yeah for that Avoid at all costs 
premature optimization, which is we have an idea of it could be as small as a blog post or as big as a business idea. And we spend so much time on thinking about like this feature, this feature, this feature, this feature, we're building this out and spending all of our time and energy, but we're optimizing for something that we don't even know is like the actual thing that needs to be built. And so premature optimization is building in features and spending time on something before I test it. And so finding ways to avoid that at all costs is like the best use of time and the number one productivity hack because you're avoiding what we've all experienced before is working a really, really long time on the wrong thing. And the antidote is find ways to test much sooner than you think. How do I test to see like, so right now, uh, last week I came up with, I think a really cool idea, um, as sort of a product for a lot of these groups that I work with that will help them go through this like learning exercise more often. And I think of the idea and then immediately my brain goes and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And then I have to stop myself every time and say, no, how can I as quickly as possible test if people would even want this thing? And then that's what we should be spending our time on. And by far, that's the number one product, uh, product or productivity hack for sure for me. No, man, like that's, that's sick, right? Because for me, I'm like a brand new, like entrepreneur podcaster. So for me to be able to take that in, it's going to really help mm. with understanding because yeah. I'm a big procrastinator myself. And so like, <laughs> I got to try to work on that pre-optimization, right? Really understanding yeah. that you do those tests and then you identify it and then you go with it. Then right? build so. from there. And you work your way to this end thing through trial and error and testing and experimentation, not spending thousands of hours on the wrong thing. Yeah. And that's something that I sometimes do, right? So that that's really awesome. So like if you're launching a podcast, my recommendation for everyone is start it, do it. And then you can like, then you go from there of like, this works, this didn't, this works, this didn't. There's people I know that reach out to me. They're like, oh, we love your podcast. I want to do, do mine. And they're like, I'm going to make 20 episodes before I launch any of them. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea because no, what if it's the wrong style <laughs> of episode? It's like, yeah. go launch one and see the response. And by going through the process, you learn this works, this didn't. And then you can... There's so much more learning and adapting that's going to happen by one at a time, try, reflect, try versus 20 episodes before anyone engages with it. Oh, that's a lot of wasted time because I guarantee you just didn't guess the perfect formula out of the gate. Yeah, man. No, you definitely hit that spot on, right? I, I, I hope that I would never do that where I like make like 20 podcasts and then don't post them. Like that's a yeah. waste of content right there. Just like yeah, jump yeah. into it, reflect yeah. into it and understand it, right? Yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah. Good advice, yeah. bro. Yeah. Uh, what are some books or online resources that you would recommend to listeners that like we talked about your audio book, which I'm going to put in the description, but what's something yep. else that you'd recommend? So I like the book Peak by Anders Ericsson. That's a good learning book. And he goes through a lot of the stuff we talked about. Um, I like I like all of Brene Brown's books, especially Rising Strong. I think she does a good job of cutting through a lot of the BS and getting to like concrete ideas that help people grow and get better and deal with challenges and setbacks. 
And I think it's like a classic, but man's search for meaning is really, really good. And that's helped me a ton. It's like that, the second half of that book, I try to go back to a couple times a year just to like kind of refresh and keep it on like top of mind. That one's been good. Um, yeah, those, I think those are good ones. I, and I think Susan David, we mentioned her, so we might, might as well mention her, her book. It's called uh, Emotional Agility. That's been a really good one. Nice, man. At least uh, I have some books to now read and kind of take a look at, right? And then yeah. I can share that to my viewers too, right? It's always good yeah. to learn and keep absorbing knowledge in many different ways, right? So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that, right? And uh-huh. to kind of conclude this podcast, what's one big lesson um, in your job that has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I think it just to bring it full circle, it's like we can learn much more than we realize. And if you can get to that point and, and build that belief, like that's, that's big time. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. And that's like the big point of this whole podcast is to really understand that the basic principles of learning is easy, right? It is easy to adapt to. And it's just the matter of believing in it and putting Mm -hmm. your mind to it. And, and Mm -hmm. overall, like, man, I I just really want to say thank you so much for taking the time to even come onto my podcast and give me amazing advice on how to become a better learner, but also taking in your perspectives and just having a different uh, focus than just like law enforcement. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to like see that different style and that understanding and it's helped me in my career. And I just wanted to say That's thank awesome. you so much for just taking the yeah. time to talk to me. No, this is really cool. I think I'm always a fan of hungry learners and people who are out there learning and sharing. And so anything I can do to help the mission, just let me know. But I had a blast today and those questions were really, really good. So thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. So for all my listeners, you can see all of his info down in the description below. Thank you for coming on to my show, Trevor. Wish you nothing but the best, man. Cheers, and I wish you well, man.